we're walking through, um, over the next several weeks, we're walking through how we think about Lent. And again, as I said earlier, oftentimes it is one of those things that um, we're a little bit hesitant about, maybe depending on your tradition or your background, um, because it, it um, has, in many ways in our culture, it's been sort of um, identified with a certain group of people. But again, going back historically, Lent has been around for a very, very long time and traditionally was a big season in the life of all churches and all believers everywhere as they thought about and were preparing for Easter. And so what I would like to do over the next several weeks is I'd like for us as a community to do a little bit more learning and discovery of Lent And specifically, what I would like to do is I'd like for us to discover some of the practices that Lent uh, has, um, again, in history, been set aside for. How we think about things, and then sort of what activities we can go through over the course of Lent to prepare us even better for the coming and the celebration of the resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday. And this morning, I'd like to start with you thinking about that Um, when we think about the discipline of repentance. And repentance is one of those hard things to think about, but I want us us to do it because as as we do think about it, we're in that mode of of preparation. And preparation is important. Let me me highlight that. Um, How many of you kids, especially, well, kids, adults, whoever, like Lego sets, brand new Lego sets? Kids love Lego sets. Like, it's a good Christmas or a good birthday if you get yourself a Lego set, right? And if you've never seen a kid open a Lego set, here's oftentimes what it looks like. They look at the front, and it could be a Star Wars Lego set. How many, how many kids like Star Wars Lego sets? Sometimes it can be, there's Harry Potter Lego sets. There's so many different Lego sets, it's amazing. If you go on YouTube, there's a whole series of ones that are fairly new of people building the new Millennium Falcon Lego set, which is like the biggest Lego set ever. It costs $799, by the way, if you want to bless one of the kids in here with a great birthday. And it takes, I think the shortest one that I saw is it takes between four and eight hours to make. It's just huge. It's fast. Anyway, when you open a Lego set, the first thing that you do is you get all the baggies out and you got to separate them because they're all labeled. You got to go in order. You got to start with bag A or bag one and move through them. But what's the next thing that you do if you're going to build your Lego set? Kids, what do you do? You open up the... You got to get the instructions, right? Thank you, Leonard kids. Nice and loud. I love it. And if you open up the instructions over the course of the next 25 minutes or hour or however long it takes, if you follow the instructions and in a sense live into the plan, then at the end of it, the set is going to be what it is that you want it to be. Now, you can try to do it your own way. I'm that person, by the way. I'm, I remember getting, I had, there were no cool things like Star Wars Lego and stuff like that when I was a kid. There was Space Lego, and I got Space Lego. And what I would do is I would build the set once so I could play with it for a while. Then I would break it down, and I would do it my own way. And I would do it how I wanted to do it. And although that was great, at the end of it, it was not complete. 
I could use it for different things, but it wasn't the same as if you followed it through in the way that it was intended. So at the end, you had what it was intended for you to have. That's Lent. God has for us during this season something at the end in the celebration of the resurrected Jesus. And as we walk through the sorts of activities like repentance, next week we're going to talk about humility. We're going to talk about different things over the course of this, that when we come to the end of Lent, if we've engaged in what God has for us here, historically, but also in his word, then when the time comes, we're better prepared for what it is that we celebrate on Easter. That's what we're doing this morning. We're going to turn in our Bibles to James chapter 4, 1 through 12. James is right near the end of the Bible. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far. It's just before that, after the Gospels. And we're going to read there James 4, the first 12 verses. Before we do that, we're going to ask God's blessing and presence on our time that we might learn and grow as he intends through his Spirit. Father, speak to us, speak through me, Lord, if it be your will, may I disappear, may, I words, may, may my words and any things that are of me here, may they go away so that this is fully and completely of you. Pray, Lord, that you speak to us in a way that we need to hear. If we are 10 years old, Father, give us what we need. We are 90 years old, give us what we need. And Lord, when we hear what it is that you give to us, may we submit to that power, the power of your word to transform us. Lord, equip us to that end through your spirit, which is present because of the grace of Jesus and the promises you've made to us. Father, as we live this out this morning, this work of learning and growing, we give it all to you. It's your time. Do with it what you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin James chapter 4, and we're going to begin with the first three verses there. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive, this is key here, because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, clearly here in this little section, three verses, we're hearing that motives are absolutely key and pivotal to how we think about repentance. And how many of us always have pure motives? That's the exact same question as, did you get it perfect this week? We don't always have pure motives. In fact, oftentimes, even as we sit in this space, there can be impure motives in why we're here or what we're doing. There can be those impure motives in almost everything. And the challenge that we're hearing here is that our motives are governed to to a significant degree by us. Yes, God speaks to them, 
and the Spirit is the one to transform them and change them and nuance them. But it starts with us considering our motives and wondering how it is that we do whatever it is that we do. If it's in our house, if it's in our classroom, if it's in our workplace, if it's in our, in our lives with our spouse or family or friends or whatever, what is it that you and I are motivated by in everything that we do? And I'll be honest, that oftentimes, if we're really truthful about it, on some level, it's pretty selfish. When I drive, I, my motives are not nearly as pure as they need to be. And I've talked to you already about that in the past, that that's a place oftentimes where my heart is betrayed. I can get angry. Kristen and I drove for a ways yesterday, and she is amazed. One of the, does anyone have their wife say this to them? She said this to me recently, and it's like, it's like twisting the knife. When I yell at somebody, she says, they can't hear you. Does anyone else have that? By the way, use that on your spouse and say that I gave it to you, okay? That'll be, that'll be good. Those are the places where my motives are betrayed. And oftentimes, when I consider what I do, what I do, why I say what I say, the things that I invest in, the things that I spend time on, so often those things are selfish things. And I'm on the hook for that. And for us to hear that this morning, that yes, God comes through his spirit and his grace to transform you, but you're on the hook for your own heart, how you approach things. In verse 3, especially challenges us, uh, us to look at why we do what we do and want what we want. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. So for us to consider that then, what are your motives in the things that you do? Are you giving up yourself to God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, the two greatest commandments. Or instead, are you, this is a benefit to me. This is a good thing to me. What are your motives? Verses four through six. Starts with some pretty strong words. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Again, it starts with those strong words, right? You adulterous people. Now, you're going to say, wait, 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 hey, hold on. That's not me. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never done anything that even qualifies as adultery. Here's why it's adultery, friends. Because God has said to us, love the Lord your God with what? All. And if we do not love the Lord our God with all, then we have committed sin. And since God has called the church, what is his word for the church? What is his descriptor? It is the bride of Christ. That means a participant in his bride has loved something other than him, the definition of adultery. That's what we're living into when we're living into sin. And so for us to hear purity, is God's call. 
in loving him first and in all things. And that is hard. That is certainly a challenge for us. But here's some really good news. And I want you to hear it here. It says this in verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? It's a question. But I want us to read that question with this in mind. God has given us his spirit to dwell in us. Who has the spirit of Jesus Christ? That's another one, friends, where you're all putting up your hands, right? So, as you're walking through the difficulty of not living into an adulterous, selfish motive, as you're trying to have pure motives in all that you do in your house, as you love your mom and dad, as you deal with your brothers and sisters, as you deal with your coworkers, as you deal with people at church, as you're asking God to equip you, you have, and I have, the promise that God is with us through his spirit because he's promised us that, and God is always faithful to his promises. So, even though you and I are responsible for our own motives, we also have the spirit who can be welcomed in to transforming those motives, but it begins with us having that recognition and welcoming him in. God, come and change my motives. Come and change my motives when I interact with my brother or sister. Come and change my motives when mom or dad asks me to do something and I don't want to do it. Come and change my motives when there's something that I want for my sake, and yet I know you call me not to do it. Come and change my motives when I'm driving down Highway 91. Come and change my motives when I'm hungry, and it's much easier to stop over at McDonald's than it is to find a salad or something else that can honor you with my body. Our motives can be changed because the promised Holy Spirit is with us if we but recognize that. And we can take hold of it because it can become a rescue to us. When I was a kid, um, my mom and dad got sick of my older brother and my younger sister and myself for at least two weeks a summer. So he's here, I can indict him for that. They sent us to a place called Camp Kimonoya. I think I've talked about Camp Kimonoya before. Maybe I haven't, but it's a place, it's a Christian camp that my parents sent us off to. It meant they got two weeks to not have us around the house. And for two weeks at this camp in the middle of nowhere on a lake, we played and we did arts and crafts and archery and all the crazy stuff that you do at camp. And it was on a lake. It was on Lake Shandos in northern Ontario. And On Lake Shandos, right from where the camp was, across the lake, it felt like it was a mile and a half. It probably, because I was young at the time, maybe eight or, I think I was there between what, eight and 12 dads, something like that. Um, it, It felt like it was about a mile across, but it was probably only a couple hundred yards. Over the course of the summer, they had this thing called the, um, white whale or the blue shark, which meant for an afternoon, they said, anyone who wants to can try to swim across the lake. And all of us little kids, which you think about some of that idea, eight to 12 year olds like, hey, swim across the lake. We'll see how that goes. It's sort of funny to think about, right? Um, Well, of course, I'm super competitive. And my brother had done the across the lake and back, which was the blue shark. So Scott had to do the blue shark, swim across the lake and back. So you start swimming. And even if it was only 200 yards, that's actually a really long swim when you're eight years old, nine years old. And it was. I can remember getting halfway across and being like, does this lake ever end? 
Am I going to make it? And by that time, you're doing the backstroke, which is your resting stroke because you're fearful. You're not going to be able to make it across. I'm trying to do everything I can to stay afloat. But here's why I made it not just all the way across, white whale, but why I made it back, blue shark. It's because there was one counselor. Actually, there are two counselors in the boat. But one, one that I really liked and one who cared for me and one who spent special time with me in my cabin and watched over us who was in a canoe paddling right beside us saying, you got this, you got this. And what I also knew, and I saw some kids, I saw some kids who, they weren't as good as swimmers as I did, they got pulled out of the water and into the boat. So you knew if you were doing the white whale or the blue shark, that even in those moments when you were weak, there was someone else there who was strong enough to save you. And friends, when we think about our need for God to transform our motives and our sin to place of repentance where we're living in honor and love for him in all we do, the struggle is real and we are responsible for living into that struggle of repentance. But we do so always knowing that God is with us, present there, equipping us and strengthening us so that even when it gets bad, He's beside the boat. He's beside you in the boat. And he's saying, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the end of the age. That's why those words from Jesus right after um, he appeared to the disciples are so very important. It's a reminder that when it's tough, he's in it with us. Verse 7 through 10. In this struggle then, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, what's interesting about those four verses is those four verses are all filled with commands. Look at them. It says, submit. The next one, it says, resist. It says, come near. That's three. He will come near to you. Wash your sin, or wash your hands, you sinners. That's four. Purify your hearts. Five. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That's eight. Change your laughter to mourning. That's nine. And your joy to gloom. That's ten. Humble yourself before the Lord. There's 11 commands in those four verses for how we approach the idea of repentance and Asking God into our need to have our motives change. And these are commands, friends. They're not negotiables. They're not the sort of things that we can simply say, oh, I don't need to do that. No, all of us need to be people who are submitting our hearts towards God. What are your motives? I submit them to you, Lord. When the devil comes, and he will, especially when we're living into obedience to Christ, then we resist him. And there's tools, if you're looking for tools to resist the devil, I can give you some specific tools. I've talked about those before. I can talk about them again with you individually after the service. Come near to God. Where's our proximity to him? Are we pursuing God in all we do? Wash our hands. I actually did that. I got, I got marked 
by the soot I put up here on the cross. I went out for a second and I washed my hands because I don't want to be marked by my own sin. But it's, I understand that it's the blood of Christ that washes my hands in a spiritual fashion. We're living into these commands and each one of these commands moves us to a place where we are more prepared to lead, lead the Spirit. That's why the last commands are what they are. Look at them. They're hard. Grieve. Mourn. Wail. Change your laughter into mourning. Your joy to gloom. That doesn't sound very fun. But what it is, is us understanding the actual pain that our sin causes and the brokenness that it causes in our relationship with God. We're acknowledging that I nailed Jesus to the cross. Right? That's what sin is. And anyone who's responsible for sin is part of the nailing of Jesus to the cross. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing, I'm sure, for the kids to even understand or grasp. Parents, encourage you to think about that with them, about how our sin is what Jesus need to, needed to die for. But as we recognize the pain of that sin, we come to that place where Easter Sunday becomes glorious, doesn't it? It becomes that much more powerful because what we're seeing is all that junk, all that soot, all that dirt, all, that, all those motives that are impure, all those things that Christ has died for them and redeemed them and made them whole in himself and he's with me through it, promising that he's going to change me over and over again throughout this process more into what it is that he wants me to be when we acknowledge the pain of our sin, not just for ourselves and for those around us that we hurt, but also with God, we're in a place where we can receive and understand more of what His grace and forgiveness is all about. And finally, we have this verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it. But sitting in judgment on it, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's why this comes at the end. Because when we can see the brokenness of our own sin, we can then forgive those around us. We can then give them the same grace that God is offering us. And we often see that, we see that oftentimes, um, the difficulty of that, when, um, you know, we've heard the parable of the unmerciful servant. Sometimes we do that, right? We know that our sin has to be forgiven, but man, I'm not sure about that person's. I'm not sure if that person's sin needs to be forgiven. Because here's what they did. Here's the stuff that they pulled off. And you see it, parents, don't we see it with our kids, right? They say, we say to our kids, little Bobby, you did, you did this. That was bad. What do they do? They say, yeah, but Susie did that too. Or Susie did something worse that you didn't see. Go get them. What God is calling us to do is see Bobby or Susie as a person who is in the same place of us who desperately needs forgiveness. We can say that in funny childlike terms, but it's the same for adults. And here's where it gets harder because all of us know people that it's hard for us to forgive, don't we? 
All of us. You know who they are. You can picture them in your brain. You can write that name down in your paper. That person who brings it up in you. I have my names. You have your names. But at the end of this whole passage of repentance, Jesus is reminding us, the Spirit is reminding us, the Father is reminding us that in the same way as I have given you freedom and forgiveness and grace and life, now you need to do so even for the hardest of those to forgive. Because if you don't, you're holding the law. That's what that whole passage about the law and the judge You're holding the law against them in a way which you do not want me to hold the law against you. This is justice. We have received grace through Jesus. Now God says to us, go and show that grace to the world around you. And I'll tell you, friends, that's why this is so important as we prepare for Easter. When we think about our need, our brokenness, and especially in the way, ways that it permeates almost every part of ourselves, everything in our lives is marked in some way by selfish motives or sin or, or, or something. The phrase that was once used for me that was really helpful, no matter how beautiful the melody we play with our lives through sin, our piano is out of tune. Does that make sense? That's what sin does. We're playing an out-of-tune song with our lives. We need Christ to come and tune our hearts unto him. And when we understand that and can come before the colorful cross, not the ash-smeared cross, the one that is empty because also in the same way the tomb is empty and Christ has victory over death and given us new life. Christ has victory over our past and given us a future. Christ has, has given us a, a victory over our feelings of lostness and brokenness and given us life and victory and hope for what's ahead. Repentance equipped us to live into that more deeply. So my encouragement to you is simply this. Over the next several weeks, think about your need for repentance. Spend some time considering. Step back for a moment. Lord, show me the places in my lives where my motives are impure. Is it with my family? Is it in my marriage? Is it in my workplace? Is it with people in the community? Is there something, Lord, that is holding me back? Lord, may you come through your spirit. May you come in the boat beside me and rescue me from not being able to see it and redeem me enough to see it that I might seek forgiveness and freedom from that sin. I might mourn for the consequence of that, but seek the victory of you in forgiving that. As we do that, friends... Easter morning becomes that much greater. Because we're giving Christ the power that he's, he's offered. It's here. I've come to renew you, make you clean. I've come that your sins might be washed whiter than snow. And the new life ahead for you is beautiful and full of life. When we prepare, that victory is that much greater. My challenge to you is live into that in the days ahead. Let's pray.
You are present in our hearts and our minds, Father. We know you've promised that. This passage reminds us of that, that you are with us. We ask that in your presence, Lord, that we we know the fullness of our own sin. We know what we can then be responsible for in our own motives, that we can ask you to come, open that place up in our own lives and seek your forgiveness, your redemption, your freedom from that. Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name you bring to mind those things where there are people here who need you to show them those places for repentance. Show them those places, Lord, that some, many of us are fearful to open up. We're fearful to admit that this is a place where we are independent, seeking our own strength, trying to do things our own way. We're trying to live outside of the instructions that you've given us to build our lives in you. And for it, Lord, as, as we find those places, as we are shown those places by your Spirit, come and redeem them and make them new. Prepare us for Easter, Lord, that we might be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that we might know the grace of Christ. And in that, Lord, we can then celebrate your victory over sin. I pray for those folks who are here asking questions of who you are, Lord. I pray that you show them their need, their need for you to make them new, that they can't fix those mistakes, they can't fix those motives, they can't transform all the brokenness that is there on their own. They're they're incapable of it, but they can instead know the freedom that you offer through Christ. Pray, Lord, that you convict those folks. Show them your love. Show them your mercy. Show them your grace. Lord, as we go from this place then, equip us to then love others with that same power of forgiveness that you've given to us. We can show and offer that to those whom wronged us, caused us pain. Lord, in that us offering forgiveness to them, we can experience more freedom in you. In the same way you've given us freedom from our own sin. Father, that's work that we're incapable of doing on our own. But you may do it in us. In Christ we pray. Amen.